0: Good morning. My name is Michael Mather. I bring you greetings from First United Methodist Church of Boulder, Colorado. Um, I understand that you aren't uh, used to the preacher standing down here. Uh, Let me just say that the United Methodist Church was started by an Anglican priest named John Wesley. And when John Wesley was starting his Methodist movement he um, went out to among the tombstones to to preach because, he say, he suffered to become more vile. So that's what I'm doing down on the floor. (laughs) Anyway, it's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. The Lord be with you. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, open us to you and to one another in this moment so that we may be ever more faithful disciples of yours. Upon the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. So, um, my friend Diamond Hargis, who's here, and I have been walking around downtown Little Rock. We've not been here before. And one of the things I wasn't paying a lot of attention to, but we noticed, was a lot of little statues And Diamon said when we were walking along the river yesterday, did you notice a lot of these statues are about fairy tales? And I said, no, why fairy tales? And he said, ah, to live in Little Rock is a fairy tale. (laughs) And I love that because I thought the thing I love about fairy tales is the way in which there's magic and mystery in them. There's truth and reality and hard things, and there's wondrous things that happen. It's like the stories of the scripture come alive. So today, I'm going to be talking about the passage from Exodus, focusing on the story of Shiphrah and Puah. You know, there are a thousand different ways one could go with this sermon. I'm only going to choose 500. (laughs) So... I love stories of midwives. Both of our children were born at home, ministered to by midwives. And um, in fact, when they were born, because if you're born by, at home with a midwife, you have to go down and file for the birth certificate yourself, right? Because it's not in the hospital. So I go down to fill out the form for the birth certificate for our son, Connor, and I fill out the form, and under race, I write human. And the person working at the counter turns back to me and says, no, this is wrong. And I said, no, I swear, he's human. And, and she says, well, I'm going to go ahead and write in Caucasian. And I said, but you haven't met my wife. And the person didn't know what to do. And I said, look, you need somebody who is present at the birth to sign this birth certificate, and all you've got is me. So I'm only going to sign this if his birth certificate says he's a member of the human race. So Connor's birth certificate says he's a member of the human race, whether I believe that all the time or not. (laughs) I love midwives. When I was in seminary, one of my professors told me that my ministry isn't about being the one giving birth. It's about being the midwife there at the birth. You are, it's not about you. It's about what God is bringing to birth in the congregation and among the people of the parish in which you will serve. And I heard that, and I believed it, and I had no idea what it meant. I'm trying to think, what does this mean? How is this going to work itself out in practice in my life and ministry? And I thought I knew, but I was wrong. I felt like I was called to work in low-income, low-wealth communities, and that's what I went to do. Because what does every low-income, low-wealth community need but a 26-year-old who knows everything with 19 years of education. (laughs) I was the answer to their prayers. I knew it. And so I'm out doing this work in low-income, low-wealth communities and think I'm doing good work. And I get sent by the bishop to this community in South Bend, Indiana, a small parish, 40 people in a low-income, low-wealth community there. And I'm there working in this church, and we had a food pantry and when people came to the food pantry, we got government um, food, so we had a government form people had to fill out. And the form said, how much is your income and how much are your expenses? And it said people's income, would they'd write $600 and our expenses are $1,200. Well, there wasn't anything we could do with that information. So we put it in a file cabinet. Far away. And I could not tell you the names of most of the people in who came to that food pantry when they came. That first six months I was there because I wasn't paying attention. I was only asking for what they lacked. I bring this up because in the story from Exodus, we know the names of the midwives. It's Shiphrah and Pua. You know whose name we don't hear in that text? Pharaohs. It's just the title. It's not his name. We know the names of Shifra and Puah. We don't know whether they were Egyptian or Hebrew. We do know that they are the heroines of this story, and they are the ones from which I begin to cast my lot on figuring out how it was that I was called to this life of faith in the world. So, We live in a time, do you remember just a few years ago, and it still happens at marches and things, one of the um, slogans that's sometimes chanted is, say her name. And it would be about Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or too many others to be named here right now. But we know the names of Shifra and Pua too. And their names need to be included because what they did was remarkable. So, it's Pentecost Sunday at the church in South Bend. And after worship, we had lunch. And after worship and after lunch, we're sitting around talking. And this woman says, you said that Peter, reading from the book of the prophet Joel, says that God's spirit flows down on all people, young and old, women and men. And I thought, how great am I? It's a half an hour later and she remembers what I said. I'm an excellent preacher. (laughs) And she says, so how come you don't treat people like that? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, when people come to the food pantry, you ask people how poor they are. If you believe God's spirit flowed down on all people, young and old, women and men, how come you aren't asking that? I don't know. The woman who asked me that, her name was Linda Myers. It's important I say her name to you. So, the very next day, the day after Pentecost, we start asking people ten pages of questions about what their gifts are. And I'm not talking about those spiritual gift surveys that churches do. I'm talking about practical things. Have you taken care of older folks? Have you taken care of children? Have you done it because they're members of your family? Because you've had a job somewhere? Because you're helping a neighbor out? Can you fix a toaster? Can you drive a car? Do you play a musical instrument? Do you sing? Have you cooked for more than 10 people? Have you cleaned up after more than 10 people? And then we ask three questions at the end. What three things do you do well enough that you could teach somebody else how to do it? Because everybody has something they can teach. What three things would you like to learn that you don't already know, and who besides God and me is going with you along the way? Well, the first person who came to us was a little woman about this tall named Adele Almagier, and she told us she was a good cook. And we said, prove it. And she said, what do you mean? Cook for the custodian, secretary, and pastor lunch on Friday. So she cooked for us, and it was fabulous. We paid her for it. So the leadership of the neighborhood organization was meeting. We said, don't meet somewhere else. Meet here at the church and let Adele cook for you. So Adele cooked for them. They paid her for it. They loved it. Over the next nine months, she cooked for Studebaker Elementary, had a PTA meeting in our neighborhood. Southeast Side Neighborhood Health Center had an open house in our neighborhood. Memorial Hospital had a press conference in our neighborhood, and she paid for the... uh, She got paid for providing the food for all of those events. Then the Chamber of Commerce called. We'd like to have an all-day meeting of our leadership program at your church building. Well, you can do that. Since we're going to be there all day, we need to use your kitchen. Well, you can use our kitchen, we said, but we'd prefer you use our caterer. So they said, okay. So we took $20 and bought her a 1,000 business cards. They said, La Chaparita Catering, Spunky Tex-Mex Food. And she fed 70 of the business and civic leaders in the community. They passed out her business card to everybody there. Through that, she got connected to the Michiana Business Women's Association. And a year and a half later, she opened up Adelita's Fajitas at the corner of 8th and Harrison and Elkhart. Now, if we had asked her, how poor are you? we would have all ended up poor for it and we would have missed a lot of great food. If she had shown up the day before Pentecost, we would not have known this. And yet it was true. This skill, this talent, this gift she had would have been true. She didn't need training. She didn't need service. She needed people who could see and believe in her gift. And we did that. We saw her gift, and we encouraged others to see it and enjoy it as well. It took somebody slapping me down to get me to see what I'd been being told so many years before, that we needed to do this. Shipra and Pua, Shipra and Pua are bringing to birth Moses, who would lead to... They brought him into the world. They weren't the ones who were giving birth to him. They were the ones who were making it possible. Now, you notice that, and I'm glad they asked the children to leave because Lord knows we wouldn't want to say this in front of children, but this is the church being in favor of lying, deceiving. They say, you know... We, we, we couldn't get there in time, Pharaoh. These Hebrew women, they're strong. They delivered these babies before we can get there. You know, this strikes me a little like Rosa Parks not going to the back of the bus. She had that planned. This is part of the historic, history of this. I think Shifra and Pua had it planned as well. I think they were planning the way to resist and think about things in the way God wants us to think about it differently. I I had a friend of my, I have a friend of mine named uh, Reverend Dr. Phil Amerson, and and Phil was the president at Claremont Seminary later Garrett Evangelical Seminary. But one of the things is I got to work with him when he was a pastor. And and Phil told me back in the eighties when he was a pastor that he had um, had a correspondence with Robert Greenleaf an AT&T executive who wrote a lot about servant leadership. And Phil had this great idea he was going to do in the church, and he wrote to Bob about it, Bob Greenleaf. And Bob sent him a postcard back. It said, great idea, Phil, don't you do it. And Phil was like, for years, I was like, why? Don't you do it? But then he realized he'd been putting the emphasis in the wrong place. It wasn't, don't you do it. It was, don't you do it. Instead, you are here to bring to birth what's happening around you. Not not to be the one giving birth, but to be the one assisting what God is doing in bringing to birth these things around us. It's not about you. We in the church have a terrific problem with this. We think it's about us. Look how many pounds of food we passed out. Look how many volunteers we have for this thing. Actually, it's that baby that's being born all around us that we're to bear witness to in our life and this abundance in the places where we least expect it, among people where we least expect it. And the reason we tell each other's stories the reason we tell each other these stories, like of Shifra and Pua, is so we know what our calling is, how we are called to live out our faith in this world, in the ways in which we move. I notice that um, these beautiful stained glass windows with the stories of faith all around us, and I miss the story of Shifra and Pua on those stained glass windows. And then I realized, oh, you are the stained glass windows that have the story of Shifra and Puah in you. And you are living that, bringing to birth what God has birthed in and among the people all around you in this parish. So one final story. So when I went to First United Methodist Church of Boulder, one of the things that was different in that community than where the low income, low wealth place I'd lived was something that is not unknown to you here. Is there were people who would sometimes be hanging out at the portion of the church who didn't have a place to live. And people in the congregation would say to me, Mike, you need to kick them off. And I called my friend Diamond Hargis, who's here, and and I said, Diamond, I you know, I don't know what to do. People are telling me I need to kick these people off. And he says, what are their names? Good question. <laughs> so I go back to the people of the congregation. I say, I'm not going to kick them off, but you can kick them off. But you can't kick them off until you learn their names. So a couple days later, the lay leaders of the congregation came to me and said, could you set up a meeting with us with the people who hang out on the porch? Sure. So I brought five people from the congregation and five people who hung out in the porch and we met together, the 10 of us in the parlor at the church. And we went around and I had everybody, all 10 people say their name, where they originally came from and what brings them joy. And so people did that. It took about 20 minutes or so. And then people talked for another 20, 25 minutes about their lives and where they saw points of connection and intersection, right? And then I turned to the people from the congregation and said, so is there something you wanted to say to the people who hang out on the porch? And they said, no.